So many of us are weighed down by vices, held back by burdens, and defined by failures. In shame, our demons drive us into hiding. But God is the author of new stories, unwriting endings, moving toward outcasts, finding failures, and welcoming the unworthy. Experience the power of transforming grace when God brings you from scales to sight. God is good. We're going to engage in God's word. Grab a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables. Snag one of those. You can even take that home. It's our gift to you. We love the word of God. There is power in the word. Open up those Bibles to Acts chapter 9, one of the most powerful passages in all of scripture. Now, how many of you... Uh, felt that weird experience where you, whether you're dating or now married, you had that time where you had to like introduce your significant other to all of your friends, right? And like you had to experience like, will they receive approval? Will they give approval? You guys know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in the 90s, uh, the Spice Girls told us all about that, right? If you want to be my lover, right? You gotta what? get with my friends. Like, this is a thing in our culture. And so you meet the friends and all of that. And uh, so Lindsay and I, when we were dating, had that experience. And I remember sitting in this burrito place where she, for the first time she's going to meet one of my good buddies. And uh, we're waiting there. And uh, in walks my friend. And he, like, kicks open the door like Kramer from Seinfeld. Like, <laughs> what's up? And we're like, hey. And he, he sits down. And right away, like very little introduction, just like, hey, what's up? And he begins telling us about his life lately and what he'd been doing. And so he tells us, I've been doing like this crazy hypnotic therapy where you listen to tapes at night. His eyes are literally bug-eyed. He's like, I haven't slept in weeks. And I'm like studying this and like, I learn more than you do at college, right? Just listening to these tapes in your sleep. It's sleep. And he's talking about like, and here's my poor like girlfriend, Lindsay, just like, oh yeah. And he's going in deep of like, there are five levels of astrophysics. And like, I'm at level five and you go in and like all this voodoo, witchcraft, magic. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Tyler Nobes, right? Like... <laughs> one of our leaders here at the church. Uh, and, and Lindsay's listening to this. And afterwards, we do the debrief like you do. And I'm like, so, you know, Lindsay, what did you think of my friend Tyler? And she's like, hey, I, I, I thought he was like a Christian. Like, is he a Christian? And I'm like, yes, he's a Christian. But you should have known him before Jesus, all right? This is, this is sanctified Tyler. And, and what, I, what I was telling her there is like, this is the most fun you can do without doing drugs, right? Like... And so uh, he's going into this. And what I wanted her to see is that, like, you have to remember, we've only been saved for a few years. See, she had grown up in a super conservative church. Everybody knew Jesus. Everybody knew what it meant to be a Christian. And there's a process in our sanctification. I said, you can't assess him by where he is and where I am. You have to assess us on, on where we've come from. Because Jesus, he's not this God who brings about the holy huddle right, who just wants to entertain religious people who have it all together. This is the God who invades the darkness. This is the God. He's not in the business of entertaining religiosity. He is in the business of heart change. That's who our God is. And let me ask you something this morning. Who is it for you that is too far gone? Who would you say, as we've gone through this series, is too far gone in your life? 
Is it that friend, that coworker? Is it that employee in your business? You're like, I'm going to fire them, right? But they're, they're too far gone for Jesus. Is it that family member? Or is it you? Is it you? You're saying, like, my heart's too hard. I can never imagine me going after God because I'm too far gone. We are going through a series called Never Too Far Gone because that's who our God is. He says, you are never too far gone. And we're going to engage with a story in scripture of a man named Saul, who is perhaps the most, the, the quintessential, the picturesque man who was too far gone. Pick it up in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we see this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, which is what they called Christianity before it was called Christianity, the way of Jesus this way. If I find them, men or women, he, Saul, might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Already in these first two verses, we get the backstory on this Saul. So what's his story? We read here, but Saul still breathing threats and murder. Why still? We actually have to go back to Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of Acts chapter 1 to get the story. There we find a young man named Stephen, who is a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, powerfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And this is in front of a bunch of religious leaders, zealots who are following Judaism. And they said, this guy is blaspheming God. And so they stone him to death. Now, when I say stone him, if you're new to Christianity, like we're not talking about like he smoked a bunch of weed and like guy, like we're talking about they took stones and they pelted this guy until he died. That's what we're talking about. This was a moment saying, if you follow this Jesus, the same will happen to you. And then at the end of this, we read in the passage that they lay their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he's overseeing and approving of this murder. Now we find him, pick it up in nine, and he is breathing threats and murder. He's actually getting legal documentation, documentation chasing the followers of Jesus. They're, he's going to bind them and drag them off. This is Saul. You could think of Saul as the foremost terrorist, religious terrorist of his day. Right, we think of like, well, terrorists, you know, these are religiously motivated murderers who go after us. And so this is what we think of, but man, that's exactly what Saul was. He was the foremost terrorist. And yet in just one verse, we are going to see the Lord Jesus, who is ascended to heaven right now, invade Saul's awful life. That's what he's about to do. And let me tell you something. If Jesus himself, finding out that this guy is, is like a terrorist, if Jesus himself has that kind of pursuit, that he would even pursue persecutors of his people, what kind of heart posture should we as the people of Jesus have towards our enemies as well? L listen to this. We are in a culture where this matters more than ever because as the church, we are tempted more than ever to engage in culture war. When we look around and we see our religious enemies, our political enemies, and say, man, we reject you, and we see your message, and therefore, we are against you, we're warring against you, 
we are warring against the culture. But hear me on this. Today, more than ever, I'm not saying you can't have disagreement or even uh, talk about that we disagree with their ideas, but the truth is that we are often too busy warring against the culture when we should be fighting for the culture instead. We are to not just reject their ideas, but to pray for revival. That is the posture of Jesus, and that is our heart posture as well. John 3, 16, perhaps the most famous verse, is followed by 17, which says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Charles Spurgeon says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's the heart of Jesus and that is the heart of the church that follows Jesus. My sons, if you ask them, they're the toughest, little, most masculine hearted little guys and they're just full of energy and all this stuff. So if you ask them like, hey, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? It always changes, but like eight times out of 10, eight times out of 10, they will say to you, firefighter, firefighter, boy parents, can I like get an amen? That's like, all they want to do is firefighter. I'm like, maybe pastor though. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like eh, they don't. and here's why, because the little boy's heart says this, when everyone else is running away from the fire, it is the firefighter who runs straight into it. And the same thing that makes that job this majestic thing in the heart and minds of little boys is the same thing that makes Jesus a majestic savior. That when we see lives on fire from hell, everyone else tends to run away from it, but Jesus runs straight towards them instead. That is who Jesus is. He runs towards the fire. Let me give you an example. My wife was listening to Jenny Allen's podcast, recently heard this story of a young woman who had grown up in a Middle Eastern country and, and was a devoted Muslim. Uh, at 23 years old, she had the love of her life. She was looking towards marriage, and the relationship ended. And at this point, um, her mom, at the same time, was diagnosed with an MS which if you don't know is a degenerative disease where your, your muscles actually give way over time. And so all of this despair is taking place to the point that they both despaired of life. And they had a plan. And so that night when um, the family left, uh, they were gonna take their lives. And as this was going down, um, a husband's gone, the other kids are gone, it's just them. And they're both over it, but the TV accidentally gets turned on as they're planning this out. And when they saw the TV, it was like a full-blown televangelist. And the televangelist says, the very first words were this, why are you going to end your life? Jesus can repurpose and transform your life, give your life to Jesus. And the mom is like, this has to be from God. So she calls the full-blown hotline. She gets saved over the phone, led to Jesus. And she tells her daughter, like, you got to talk to these guys. And she's like, are you kidding me? She gets on the phone to berate them. And she says, listen, life is worth it. This is nonsense. Jesus is an embarrassment, and I'm going to embarrass Jesus. And he says, wait, please, listen to the gospel. He says, you have followed a law for all your life. 
And all that has gotten you is this place where you are now in utter despair. And he says, give Jesus just one week before you go through with it. Give him one week and see if he doesn't work in your life. And so she says, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll give you one week. And then I'm going to get on here publicly and do it over the phone to embarrass your Jesus. And so she gets off the phone. They go to bed, just exhausted from this whole thing. The mom wakes up in the middle of the night screaming. And the daughter hears this, and she's like, look, the MS has now gotten to her lungs, and it's over. She goes over to her mom and sees that instead of dying, her mom is dancing. Her mom is walking about perfectly. And she looks at this, and they rush to the hospital. They do all of the scans, and the MS is gone. Not an ounce of evidence in her body. They're so overwhelmed by this miracle, they both give their lives to Jesus, and the daughter leads five of her friends to Christ that week. God's good, amen. You guys can celebrate Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets on the phone at the end of that week and she says, hey, like my mom got healed of MS. We both got saved and I've led my friends to Jesus. What do I do with this? (laughs) And they're like, Jesus works miracles. And here's the deal. You may have not experienced the miracle you wanted to experience, but let me tell you this. You can experience the miracle of grace today. That's who Jesus is. He is the God of grace. And so Christian, let me ask you this. When you read Saul's story, When you read Saul, sorry, like, would you have moved towards Saul? Would you have moved towards Saul in all of his insanity and all of his evil? Would you have done it? Let me tell you, this is what I know about you. You have a Saul in your life, and God is beckoning you, stirring in you right now to go after him, to pursue them. Non-Christian, are you surprised that Jesus moves towards people like Saul? Let me tell you this, Jesus is moving towards your life, whatever you're going through today, through the Spirit. Would you receive him? This is what happens when we do. Acts now, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, now this is interesting. They double up words here because they didn't have bold like typeface back then. And so it's just, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Picture this experience. You are riding in with this unholy ambition. You're on a horse. And then all of a sudden, you see this blinding light that is so incredible. And it's the Lord Jesus. He cries out to you, why are you persecuting not just the church, but me? And then instantly you're struck blind. And for three days in this blinded state, you're searching around, you you can't see anything. The light has utterly 
taking it all away. This actually reminds me of an experience that my wife and I, when we were first dating, we're hanging out at her parents' house, and uh, it's like this stormy day. We're drinking coffee, reading books, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, not lightning, but a flash of green light fills like the, the windows there, and we are like terrified. Like, what is this? And, and there's only two things this could be. One, UFOs. Like, dude, this is it. Like, they're coming. We're done. Or number two, we like missed the rapture, right? Like the preacher we were listening to all the time is like always talking about the rapture. And we're like, we missed it. So we like look, like no, not even joking, look in the kitchen. Is her dad still there? Because if it's just closed, we, we missed it, bro. Like we need to get saved because it's seven years of tribulation. That's what's going down right now. And so he was there and we're like, what, what was that? And he was like, well, it was probably like a transformer blew up or something. And I was like, don't know what that is, but it's terrifying. This is what Paul experiences, just light, boom. Such an incredible light he experienced that his eyes were blinded. Now, when you hear this story, oftentimes preachers will point out like, oh, he got kicked off his horse, so Jesus is a UFC fighter, you know, and then talk about like, he said, saw, saw. And we, we probably remember these elements if you're uh, not new to the Bible. And these are the things that we emphasize. But if you ever ask Luke, the author of this text, what is he emphasizing? Uh, this is a principle of interpretation. You actually want to pay attention, even underline repeated ideas in Scripture. And in this section, look at this. We, we see that this is what's emphasized. Verse 3, he's this, this brilliant light. Verse 7, seeing no one, these other guys. Verse 8, although his Saul's eyes were open, he what? He saw nothing. And then verse 9, three days he was without sight. It's sight, blindness, light, blindness. What Luke is emphasizing here is there is a major transformation taking place in both physical reality, but also the heart of Saul, where he is moving from being, uh, you know, looking at reality one way through one lens to now being brought low and blinded so that eventually he can re-see reality through a new light, the light and the way of Jesus. That's what Luke is getting at here, and I need you to see this, that in the same way, you and I need to unsee the world as we know it and get and receive a fresh vision of Jesus in our lives as well. That is what we need. That is what is on offer in Jesus. And if you're new to Christianity, this is what we call regeneration. Saul is not just having a blinding physiological experience. He is having a, a level of heart transformation in this that we call regeneration in theology, in Christian theology, or re, again, generation, creation, being born, being born again. In fact, if, you, if you've ever thought about, like, what is it for Christians to be saved? What is it to go from darkness to light? What is it to go from unbelief to belief? from not being a disciple of Jesus to following, here's what it is. John chapter three, this is what Jesus offers you. John chapter three, it's called being born again. Romans six talks about it in terms of receiving new life. Second Corinthians five talks about this in terms of becoming a new creation. First Peter two uh, talks about this in terms of tasting that the Lord is good. Ephesians two talks about moving from death to life. Ezekiel chapter 36 promises that this will be like heart surgery where God removes your hard heart and implants a heart that is soft towards him. And here in Acts chapter nine, we read that this is like moving from scales to sight. 
That is what it means to be regenerated. And listen, if you're, if you're not a Christian today, you are not sitting here on accident. I want you to experience regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit right here today. So you're saying, how, how does this work? Here's what you need to do. Put faith in Jesus. Put faith in the name of Jesus. Put faith in the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross in your place for your sins, removing the wrath and installing forgiveness by his blood, taking your uh, account of brokenness and my account of sin and taking that upon himself on that cross and in the greatest exchange of history, applying his righteous account to your life. And what you need to do today is believe on the cross of Jesus, believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and by faith, your life surrendered to Jesus, you will have new life in him. You will be and have been regeneration if you put faith in Jesus today. That's what I want for you. And so by faith, believe in Jesus. And there are some of us here, many of us here who are believers, and you're saying, so this is a message for like spiritual terrorists, right? Like, and I'm not one. And so like, what does this have to do with me? Christian, the gospel of Jesus has everything to do with you. You see the good news of Jesus's cross, death, resurrection, and rulership in your life, if you trust in him, is not just like the diving board into the pool of Christianity where we go on to like live our best life now. That's not how it works. The gospel is not the diving board of Christianity. The gospel is the entire pool. And so what we are doing as Christians is swimming in the gospel every single day, being reshaped, reformed, and having our lens transformed in and by the gospel. There is a sense in which Christians are continuously being made new through that gospel. That is why in Romans 6, uh, Paul talks about it in terms of walking in new life. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so uh, you hear this and you're like, I want to be renewed by the gospel. This is something I can experience every hour. I can be reshaped by the reality of what the gospel teaches by grace. Uh, how does this work? Do I need, you're saying, I just need to be Jesus zapped like Saul did, right? Like, if you would just kick me in the face, you know, like, would UFC Jesus show up in my life? Actually, you don't need to be Jesus zapped. All you need to do, Christian, is open your Bible. That is how you experience the refreshing vision of Jesus in your life. To see again that you are desperate for him. To see again that you can call on his name by faith. To see again that your sin has been put in the grave and you have been brought into new life in him. To see again that resurrection hope is for today and on into eternity and we will see him face to face. All these precious promises of the gospel are to reshape and transform you literally every day as we open our Bibles. This is what I want you to picture, that you've got your Bible here. It's sitting in your living room or it's on an app in your phone or whatever you read the Bible. And, and now this is just a word picture, but that the Holy Spirit, like a pillar of smoke and fire as he's revealed in the Old Testament, kind of this picture. Now the Spirit is everywhere, right? Theological geeks, so, so chill on me for a second, right? Tabor, I see you. But this, just picture that though, this idea that, that the Spirit is waiting there. 
And he is eagerly anticipating. And he is so excited that she would open up her Bible, that he would just crack open the pages back into, you know, Mark chapter and read again about his grace and read again about his goal. He wants to fill you. He wants to transform you. You don't need to be Jesus zapped. It's the everyday means of grace, like reading the scriptures, praying. Listen, this is what I'm saying that the means by which we are renewed through a fresh vision of Jesus are nothing new. The question is only, are you walking in them? Saul got Jesus zapped. We can experience something infinitely better in the word of God. And so let me tell you this. That is why we create stuff like this as a church. Like this is not an advertisement. Like as one of your pastors, I want to equip you to grow in the gospel. And so what we do is our team has made these like honestly really like beautifully designed like prayer cards, right? And we're not just about these because like good branding is super dope and we love that stuff. We do love that stuff. You know, hashtag Jake Givens like you rock. Like but, but the truth is, like, this, these are here in the uh, bookstore, not, not for sale. You, they're free. Like, we want you to be reading this. Some of you say, I don't know how to pray. Pick one of these up. Pick five of them up. We, you could literally go through one every single day of your work week and just pray through these prayers from our prayer team. And let that be your prayer. As well, in the back every week, we have a Bible reading plan. Now, the truth about Bible reading plans is people hate those things. And you're laughing because it's relatable, because like you, you hate them. You tried one, you failed, you died in Leviticus. We get it, all right? <laughs> but we're here to help you get in God's word. What, these, these are literally not a commitment for a year. It's a standalone thing, one every month. Stand alone, read through it. Elliot Fukino, our resident theologian here, a Multnomah student, a seminary student, a amazing guy. He works through and creates each and every one of these. This is created all in-house. In five minutes or less a day, you can grow in God's word and experience the power of the gospel. And then lastly, some of you are saying, man, I do have the daily habit of studying scripture, or maybe I've been growing the faith, but I, I want to know what my next step is. Maybe you register for Rise Academy. Listen, what Rise Academy is, is it's seminary level of training for the everyday Christian. Maybe you think back like, man, I wish I could like grow in the gospel, go back to when I was 19 and spend those two or four years in Bible college. But like, I'm beyond that now. And listen to me, you should not do that, right? Like you can't go back, bro. You can't go spend 40 to 80,000 on four years degree. As a matter of fact, if you're 19 in here and we'll go to Bible school, like you shouldn't do that. Do that in house, like save the money. We create Rise Academy literally for you to grow in less than an hour a week for under 10 weeks, growing theologically in the nature and the reality of the gospel. And so here's what happens when we do. This is very powerful. Um, what happens next in the story is Jesus shows up in a vision uh, at the night with, to a guy named Ananias. Now, Ananias is, is like, oh, what's up, Jesus? You know, like you would. And Jesus tells him, hey, you know that guy Saul? And he's like, you mean the terrorist dude? And he's like, yeah, I need you to go talk to him. He's like, oh, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm all good on that, Lord. And, and then Jesus responds, and we get his response here in 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias, he's like, he departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, 
He said, enemy. No, he said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained, he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. He, here's what's happening. Saul was an instrument of evil. Saul was literally an instrument for destruction. But that was when his life was in his hands. Now his life is being placed in the hands of Jesus and he's gone from being an instrument of destruction to being an instrument for redemption. That's what's taking place here. He's being put on assignment. And I love this, that Saul isn't like, hey, like I met Jesus and I got renewed in my spirit. And so now I'm gonna like, like sit in a yoga pose and hum to like Jesus forever. <laughs> Cause like I'm saved and it's just me and Jesus now. And, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna become a monk. And I'm gonna work. No, he says, listen, you got work to do, Saul. I didn't save you just for you. I saved you for others. And that is the reality of what we experience in the gospel too. That when we get saved, God doesn't just renew people, he repurposes them. That's what God does in our life. Now I want you to think about this. He is an instrument. What is an instrument? An instrument is a tool. He's literally uh, used for execution. of this. Think about this like this. If I had a basketball in my hand right now, like, like just a basketball, like how much would that thing be worth? Well, because number one, I don't think I've ever even like watched an entire basketball game, right? Let alone being in my hands, it's now used. And so the thing's probably worth like 15 bucks. It's like lost value by me holding it. That's like how that works. But you put that same basketball in the hands of Damian Lillard. You put that same basketball in his hands. How much is that basketball worth? Millions. It just depends on whose hands it's in. Listen to me. Some of you guys say, my, my life is worthless. My life, I have seen incredible pain. I, I can't be used. Yes, you can. Yes, your life in your hands may be of little value. But God, but Jesus has this pattern of taking the worthless things in this world and using them for his worthy purpose. It just depends on whose hands you're in. Let me tell you this. Look at verse 15. We read this over and again in the passage. He is a chosen instrument of mine. To what? 15 again, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings. Verse 16, he must suffer, not randomly, but for the sake of my name. Verse 17, Ananias laying his hands on him said, brother Saul. Verse 19, he, he's not just brought low, but ultimately he is strengthened. See, Saul is gonna be called Paul later, and he is going to not only win countless hearts, but win countless cities for Jesus. And let me tell you this today, in Jesus, you get a brand new identity and a brand new purpose. If you call on the name of Jesus. Christian, this is what it means that we have been redeemed. Uh, some of you may be new to church, like you hear theological language and it just sounds archaic. You're like, what is redemption? Maybe you've seen a church called Redeemer and people are like, my Redeemer lives. You know, they're like going in hard with the Redeemer. You're like, what is that? Here is what redemption means theologically in the Hebrew, in the Greek, but also it transfers to us today. Redemption, the definition of it, it means salvation to buy back 
or to repurpose. That's what redemption is. You're not just saved unto yourself. You are sent unto them. That's what God wants to do with your life. See, this is the difference between me and my wife. We drive around, right? And, and you never see the distinction between Lindsay and I more than when we drive around because there's this thing that happens where We'll drive past like, uh, like a table or like, you know, some piece of furniture and it'll say free on it. And I'm like, <laughs> garbage, <laughs> like speed up, you know? And, and like, Lindsay sees that and she's like, actually, could, could you slow down? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, no. And she's like, yeah, because what she sees is this is a precious treasure and we can transform this and I'll get my Joanna Gaines on and we will refurbish this thing, right? That's what she's thinking in that moment. And some of you guys relate with that because you are a thrift store shopper. Like you're you're like, I'm gonna repurpose things. I find more value in taking it and making it my own because you're a craftsman or whatever that is and that's the way that God's wired you. And you reflect Jesus because Jesus Christ is the ultimate thrift store shopper. He shows up to the trash heap of humanity, doesn't he? He shows up to the goodwill bins of our city. And he goes in there and he says, man, someone else has called them junk, but I am calling them for my purposes. That is who Jesus is. And what if he got a hold of your life? What could he do with you if he can use a terrorist who is persecuting to plant churches? I experienced this as a brand new believer. Uh, The week before I got saved at that youth group, that I got saved at, um, they lost their youth pastor. See, that youth group was actually pretty big. There was a few hundred kids or whatever, and this guy named Bob Woody was leading it. He was actually kind of a well-known speaker and all this stuff, big youth group. Well, he left, and like all the kids left with him too. <laughs> and so it's just like this exodus. And then I show up, and I had no idea. You know, it's like, there's like 18 people here, like sick. Like, what is this? And I get saved and all this stuff. And Tom, the youth pastor, had just taken over. And that youth group never really grew that big. Like it grew, but, but not huge. And, and it was one of the smallest youth groups in our area. And it was because uh, most of the kids at that youth group, like no offense, were just dorks. Like they were nerds. I was like, I remember you from school. I think I like gave you wedgie, right? Like, I'm like now we're here. And then if you weren't a nerd, you were like a spiritual imbecile, right? Like me and my buddies got there and like the median sanctification level went down by 12 notches. <laughs> And we were just a problem, like heresy and like sin and, and bringing problems. But here was the thing about Tom. He had a heart for the rejects. He had the heart of Jesus. And what's crazy is, even though that youth group never got that big, I look back and I count person after person. My friend Cameron, who is now, who was a year ahead of me in that youth group, who is now leading thousands of students in the Midwest. I think of my buddy buddy Skyler, who's about to move back to this town, uh, possibly becoming the lead pastor of one of the churches in our area. He got baptized with me at that church. I think of my my wife, Lindsay, and I. I think of the nobs here at the church. I can tell you person after person, tiny little youth group that has sent so many pastors into the cities of the U.S. and the world that I'm just blown away that I got to be a part of it. That is the heart of Jesus. It's not about just the crowd that you draw, but the leaders that you send and Jesus. Jesus is about sending you on purpose. So how many of you guys want to be part of a purpose like that? As we close here, this is what I want you to see. Let me say, I can't be part of something like that. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a leader. But you can be, you can be part of a purpose like that. In fact, it actually just begins with a willing heart that is transformed by the gospel.
How do you become a person who is used of God like Saul was used of God? Here's what I need you to see as we conclude. Personal renewal precedes public revival. Personal renewal. It was because Paul experienced deep personal renewal that he was used to produce a massive public revival. As we now engage in worship, this time of singing, reflection, and worshiping Jesus in light of the gospel, here's what I'm inviting you into. Before we can change anyone out in our city, we need to experience deep gospel change down in our hearts. That's how this works. In fact, John Wesley was one of the uh, great leaders of the first great awakening in the U.S. and in Europe. He was one of the most tremendous leaders to have ever lived hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people getting saved in that movement. And then later on in his life, after he passes away, you can read his writings. And if you were to ask, uh, you know, John Wesley, like, What does it take to be part of a movement like that? What does it take to be used of God in that way? This is what he would say. Light yourself on fire and people will come for miles to watch you burn. See, public revival is always preceded by personal renewal. You need a fire deep in your hearts before the fire is gonna start in our city. And so I'm gonna invite us to do this. We're going to respond. And the ways we're going to respond is I'm asking you, if you're saying, man, I don't know if I feel that fire for Jesus, let's ask God for it today. And let's believe that we serve a God who is Savior and works miracles. When you go over, if you are a Christian, to communion, the cup represents Jesus' blood poured out for you, and the bread represents his body broken for you. In that experience, remember the gospel and ask God as you do, Lord, let this gospel reignite my heart. Let it create personal renewal inside of me. And as we give during this time, man, some of that's a huge step of obedience for us. It's a sacrifice. And what we're saying there is, God, I care not for the things of this world, but Lord, become big in my heart and stir up revival in me. And as we sing, and and here's what I want to do. We're going to sing. Would you guys stand with me as we do this? In fact, this is an act of worship in this sacred time right now. What I'm asking you to do is maybe, maybe actually posture your body in a receptive way. Maybe right now you actually close your eyes. I'm going to read some stuff over you. And let these be words that wash revival over your soul. Maybe you, some of you hold your hands out like this and just receive what God has for you in, these, in this time. Others of you may be raising hands. I see other people get on knees, but, but bow your heads and receive this. The revival begins with the awakening of sleeping Christians, J.I. Packer. Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart and repentance, praise and love with evangelistic overflow. Maybe you even go back to the response room and say, man, pray revival over me. I don't feel it, but I want to feel it. I don't see it, but I want to see it. Leonard Ravenhill says this, in revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches. He is concerned about filling empty hearts. And Vance Havner, 
Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. May we pray to experience the gospel today even more than Saul experienced it back then. Amen.